0: Well, it's, uh, it's always great uh, to have our kids with us, and it's also great when they leave, isn't it? That's, um, that's a wonderful blessing as well. Uh, I'm going to be speaking today from John chapter 8, so if you're able to open that up, that would be really helpful, uh, John chapter 8, uh, which Dylan uh, brought to us uh, just before, uh, John chapter 8, uh, it'd be very helpful if you, can, um, if you can open that part of the Bible with me. And I'm going to pray for us. Uh, perhaps, Graham, if we can close that back door, that would be super, I suspect. Thanks, Dash, you're on it. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to turn our attention now to your word. Oh, we thank you for the joy and the energy of our kids and pray now that you might quieten our hearts, that we might turn them to you, meet you in your word, and so, Father, be changed by you and your Holy Spirit. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. So uh, we heard read for us uh, today. If you've got uh, John 8 there, uh, we, we had the kids say it to us. I think you learned some actions. Uh, did you notice Michael's hands with the, the light? Uh, the light has come into the world. So it says, in, uh, it says in chapter 8 and verse 12, when Jesus spoke to the people again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let's just consider what it is that Jesus has said to us. He said, I am the light. No problem so far. I am the light of the world. Now, it may be that this morning, uh, you're happy to just grant all of that as being a perfectly reasonable thing for someone to say. You might be able to say, well, of course. It's, it's okay for Jesus to say he's the light of the world. But if you have a slightly more sceptical mindset this morning, you might question some parts of this claim of Jesus. So if Jesus says that he's the light of the world, you could think to yourself this morning, actually, that's pretty arrogant to say I'm the light of the world. And, and some of you might be thinking this morning, how is it arrogant? I, I don't see how that's arrogant. Well, how about I put this up here for you? What if you say, I am the light of the world? What are you implying when you say, I am the light of the world? What are you implying? Sorry? The only one. I am the only light. I am the light of the world, is what Jesus is saying. And more than that, he's saying, I am the light. But, but where is he the light to? The light of the world. And so you think to yourself, well, actually the world's a pretty big place. It's one thing for Jesus to say, "Hey, I'm kind of offering some illumination to those who are interested in bettering themselves. I'm offering some help to people who are struggling." But here we have Jesus saying, "I am the light of the world." I should say I am the light of the world. And in that context, if we actually stop hop out of our kind of, we just give all this agreement to Jesus stuff. If we we actually look at it a little bit objectively, it's a profoundly bold, possibly even arrogant thing to say, isn't it? I am the light of the world. So this morning, I want to see if we can make the case as to why it's good news that Jesus is the light of the world. And I want to think through some objections that we might have to this great claim. What objections might we have to this great claim? One of the interesting things, if I say to you this morning that I have a light for you, here we go, I have a light for you, okay? Right now, that is hardly a wonderful offer for you, is it? Well, it might be even mildly irritating that I have a light for you. You you might say I've got some uh, 70-watt metal halide lamps up there and some uh, 18-watt compact fluorescents uh, up there. I used to work in lighting, so I'm very excited about these. Uh, Linear metal halides up there. A whole lot of uh, very efficient light being produced in in the roof. How wonderful. And you want to go on and on about this thing. I don't need your light. In fact, it's just annoying. Your light is annoying to me because what? Well, I'm sitting in the light. Your light is of no use to me because I'm in the light. And I would actually say, for Jesus' great claim, this might be some people's response. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And our answer would be, but I'm not in the darkness. It's a wasted offer, Jesus. You can be as light as you want, but I am not personally in the darkness. I want to challenge that assumption this morning. I want you to think with me about why it may be that we're in the dark. Three reasons to consider that. First of all, morals. Now, uh, has anyone heard of morals? Kind of outdated concept. Does anyone remember them? Maybe some of our cheslonians will remember them. Is that right, guys? Fantastic. Anyone under 40 remember Morals. Awesome nodding heads. Yes, I see that hand. Wonderful. <laughs> Fantastic. Isn't it funny though, right? Once we talk about morals, the, the, the very thought of it is actually, well, that's, it's like a dusty, musty sock drawer somewhere in, in the back of our heads. Morals is not relevant today. The, the best we can do with morality today, I think, and this is pretty much the level of our public discourse, is this. It's just not right or. Of course it's right. That that's our whole moral discussion as a society today. Yes. You you have a conversation with someone who says, look, it's obviously right, or nobody could possibly believe that anymore. That's just it's just wrong. Now, as an adult, I, I want to speak to you and say, what's the why? It's not enough just to say it's obviously right, because if it was obviously right, you wouldn't be disagreeing with someone, would you? That's a, that's, a, that's a logical thunderbolt, isn't it? If it's obviously right, no one could possibly disagree. It's clearly not obviously right. So the question becomes, why is it right? I suggest to you today that as a society, we have lost our whys, and become unwise in the process. We've lost our wives. When it comes to morality, I would say we are in the dark. We have lots of opinions and no foundations. Here's another one, what about life? If I was to say to you, what's the purpose of your life, what would you say? What's the purpose of your life? And I shared, I was chatting with my, my boss when I used to work uh, at Phillips and he, he stumbled about for a, a couple of weeks and eventually he came back to me and he said, I, the purpose of my life is, is to leave the world a better place than I found it. I thought, mate, that's great. Why? And he looked at me and he said, very honestly, he said, I honestly don't know. He said, you think about this stuff heaps more than I do. I can't tell you. Now, that's not good, is it? That's not a good answer. I mean, it's, it's okay to say I want to leave the world a better place, but if you have no reason why, no foundational reason why, when I say to you, what is life's purpose, you have nothing to say, do you? We've, we've collapsed the world down to individualism. Maybe you've got an answer for yourself. What is the purpose of my life? But what are you going to pass on to your kids? And what is the foundation framework for that? We've lost our why, we don't know why it is, and we don't know what the purpose of our life is. And so I was tr- driving along behind a, a four-wheel drive the other day, and it had the sticker Such Is Life on the back of it, right? And, and the cut-out head of Ned Kelly, and the, the crossed guns, and, and the, you know, the, the, the mask. And I thought, this is this guy's operating worldview, Such Is Life. And I'm like, yes, and What? What do I do with that? I'm following a guy who was a rebel against society who was killed. And as he was dying, he said, such is life. So what was the purpose of his life at that point? How long was he going to get to live that philosophy? We've got his dying words and they don't offer any help. It's it's emblazoned on the back of this guy's four-wheel drive. If it was you, welcome. Glad you're at church today. But here's the thing. I'd say fair enough, but what's the great orientating goal behind that? There's no why, is there? And then we get to my absolute favourite. We've talked about morals, old and dusty, life, relevant, but we have no idea. What about this thing called death? I've ranted on this before, but I'll just do a mini rant for you, okay? A mini rant. So here's the thing that I find with with adults in Australia. What what we say is, they're watching me right now. They're watching me right now. That's our answer to what happens after death. What happens after death to someone that I love, they're watching me right now. I think I've spoken to you about the logic of this, but do they ever get bored watching you? Serious question. They watch you all the time or they pop in on Sunday. This morning, I want to challenge you and say, do you have an adult, intellectually rigorous answer to what happens after death, or do you have a half-formed idea that you rub to keep yourself cozy? What happens after death, it will face every one of us. Do we have something useful to say? I, I want to suggest to you today that those areas are darkness for most Australians. We don't have a moral framework, we don't have a purpose to life, and we do not know what happens after death. That is the definition of darkness for me. What about this? Yeah, 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 Jesus is the light of the world. No, 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 hang on. Look, you're getting a bit carried away, Jesus. Aren't all religions equal? Have you heard this one? And you know that the analogy that's used is six blind men. You've heard this? I know Luke will have heard this. Six blind men and an elephant. And they're standing there and some of them says, I think it's like a rope. This is what they're holding the tail, right? I think it's like a flappy piece of paper here. I think it's like a paper basket or a chair holding the legs. You know, I think it's... And the idea is each of them has a small part, Right? They're all true in themselves, but they don't have the big picture. Of course, who has the big picture? There's somebody sitting back looking at all the world religions, holding ears and legs and noses, and somebody sits back and goes, ah, you're all idiots. It's an elephant. The arrogance to say that you can see the elephant while everyone else in the world is only holding ears and legs is stunning. All religions are equal. It, it, is, it is an intellectual, it, it's, it's playing in the shallow end of the pool. Let me tell you why. All religions are equal. First of all, I want to ask you, all religions, seriously, all religions are equal. The Romans who have gods that get drunk and have adulterous relationships is the same as Islam's monotheism. Is that right? How about the tower that was dug up this week of the Aztecs who had the heads, the skulls, hundreds of skulls of human sacrifices built into the tower outside their temple? Kids, women, adults sacrificed and their skulls cast in mortar to make a tower outside their temple. That's the same as Christianity, isn't it? It is intellectually infantile to suggest that all religions are the same. That cannot be the case. They are not the same. It just means you don't know anything about religion. Secondly, if they're all the same, Are the Aztecs right? Were they right to sacrifice children? If they're all the same, then they have to either all be right or all be wrong. Do you get it? See, if you go down the step of saying they're all the same, they're either all right or they're all wrong. So human sacrifice is as right as love your neighbour as yourself. Nobody actually believes that, do they? So they're either all right or they're all wrong if you say they're all the same. Thirdly, could it be possibly that you're wrong? They're not all the same and potentially at least one of them is right. It has to be a possibility intellectually, doesn't it? So here's the thing. In this area, there's got to be at least some darkness somewhere, doesn't there? Thirdly, someone might say, yeah, sure, but I haven't seen much light in the church. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, right? But but I haven't seen much light in the church. The first thing I want to say in response to that, particularly as I read a, a, an appalling account of abuse recently um, in, the, in the Catholic Church connected with George Pell, I want to say there is no getting around this. It's appalling. If anyone wants to use this to score points, I think that is utterly appalling. But in the name of Jesus doing terrible things to other humans, we have to make no excuses for it. We have to say it is beyond the pale. It is utterly horrific that abuse has happened in the church. Has it happened in any other places? See, I'll never go to church because there's been abuse in the church. I'll never watch another football game. I'll never go to another school. I'll never go to another swimming club. And here's the terrible thing. I'll never go to another family home. I think we need to ask the devastating question, which is what is common to these things? It's appalling in the church. It is appalling in the home. What's common is, a pa- is power and its abuse. What's common is broken human beings. What's common is actually darkness everywhere in human hearts. That's what's common. Then you get to the one that says, oh, Christians aren't any better than anyone else. You've heard this one before? We're all a bunch of what? good that you can all join in together with me on that isn't it well here's the thing we fail I I fail I'm sure that some of you here will be able to say I've let you down definitely I fail I, I don't live as I should and that grieves me deeply so in the church will people let you down the answer very regrettably is yeah they will I think you're right to expect more because we follow a Savior who showed us a better way to live. So at some level, I think it's healthy that the world says, "Hey, these Christians aren't living up to this high standard." But here's what I'd say: How are you doing? Because the church is made up of actual humans. You've heard the one about people in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks. Have you heard that? Let all the <laughs> Jesus said take the log out of your own eye. It was one of his most famous statements, wasn't it? Here is no sin, cast the first stone, take the log out of your own eye, then take the speck out of mine. Well, I just say it's time for some self-reflection. We may be a bunch of broken people who let people down. Come and join us. You'll fit right in. See, all are darkened. All are darkened. I think this darkness, Sounds like real life. This darkness sounds like real life. And for us to say, oh, I'm walking in the light, is wrong. Profoundly wrong. And I want you to see how beautiful it is that someone spoke about providing light. How beautiful is that? Somebody said, I'm going to come into this dark world as it actually is. I'm going to bring light to this dark world. Here's what we taught the kids. Here's what we taught the kids. We said that the true problem in this world is not people having a bad hair day every now and again. You know, I'm mostly good. Actually, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we actually have a a black heart. We have a sin-stained heart, and that's the problem. It's the reason our organisations can never be perfect because they're made up of people with blackened hearts. It's not a bad hair day, but a black heart. That's the true problem with this world. The true solution, therefore, isn't to say, oops, oops, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. All I'm going to do is try harder to be a good person because black heart people will keep on messing up. People like me will keep on messing up. So it's not just a matter of saying, oops. The true solution is not an oops. The true solution is actually a crucifixion. And you think to yourself, why does it take this horrific act this son of God, this perfect man crucified on the... Why does it need that? It needs it because it wasn't an ops because it required the payment for sin's rebellion and the terrible pain and disaster of this world. So the solution isn't a handbook to a better life. It's actually a death so that we might find a new life. The third thing that we, tra- we told the kids is this new life... The true difference that we're looking to see is not churchianity. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I know you came in your Sunday best. Good. I know some of you actually have come in your Sunday best. Excellent. And some of you ironed your t-shirt this morning. I'm, I'm glad that you did that. So here's the thing. The true difference is not churchianity. It's not that but it's actually changed hearts, that God is in the heart transplant business, that he'll take out our blackened heart and give us a fresh start with him. Full forgiveness, consciences cleansed, the record erased. We told the kids about true hope, not pie in the sky. Yeah, It was fun looking for that one, can I just say. You know the, the accusation with Christianity is it's just pie in the sky. Of course you want it to be true. It's your, um, you know, your psychological crutch for the fear of death. Fair enough. First of all, who doesn't need some help in this regard? We're all afraid of death, aren't we? What's your crutch? Would be the answer that I would give back to someone who said, "Ha ha, you've got a crutch." I'd say, "Yeah, sure. What's yours?" See you standing outside an empty coffin facing your own mortality and you tell me what your hope is. Mine is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the historical man. It's based on his promise as the only one who's gone from death back to life and told me what is next. He says, I am going there to prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you to be with me. No one else can offer that. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not the Aztecs. The one who has gone there has come back to tell me, I will take you to be with me. What do I have? What do we have? Not pie in the sky, but we have a home when we die. Uh, An actual destination. Resurrection is our hope. The answer is all who trust in Jesus will stand forever in his presence. And when I stand at my grandmother's remembrance service this week, and I lay her to rest, it will not be with a vain wish that she'll be watching me. I don't want that for my grand. I want her to turn away from looking at me messing up my life and turn to the risen Saviour who forgave her, who will be her joy and delight forever. That's what I want for her, and that's what I'll preach on that day to a whole bunch of people who will be in the same place sooner or later. Jesus didn't come and say, I am a light in the world. He didn't come and say that. I'm not one of many options. Pick me off the shelf if you like me. He didn't say that. He said, I am the light of the world. I'm the illumination for your moral, spiritual darkness. I'm the hope of your life. I'm the guarantee. I am the one who provides purpose and meaning for you. Jesus spoke to the people and said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You want to find meaning and purpose in life? Follow Jesus. It's found in following him. In a relationship with him, your life will make sense. I want to encourage you, if you're here today and <laughs> you've got some of those questions, I want to encourage you, come and do Jesus for the curious for me. Come and do it with me. Bring your skepticism. I've got a beautiful testimony in the newsletter this week, and I've got an even better one coming for you next week. Look on, look on Wednesday when it comes out. Read the story. A man who came from the school down there into this building, full of fear and trepidation, with a whole bunch of doubts, sat down, read the Bible, and met Jesus as an adult. And he's saying, my life has changed. I'm a different man because I met Jesus. Come and do it. Come and check it out. I reckon a whole bunch of you here, though, have taken hold of that life and that offer of forgiveness. And I want to say to you, turn a phrase that Carrie and I were talking about this week. Carrie was saying she was was at work this week and had somebody come up to her and said, a bunch of questions, essentially. How do you make sense of this life? You're, You're a Christian, aren't you? Be the God person. Be the God person where you are. Bring the light of Jesus into the place where you are. There are people around you who don't know the purpose of life, who don't know what happens after death, who do not have a reasonable purpose for what they're doing. And you can be, because you're walking in relationship with Jesus, you can be the God person in their life and point them to the light. Sounds good, doesn't it? How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, this world is dark. There's no mistaking that. And Father, my heart, our hearts have been dark. We thank you for shedding the light in. We thank you that it challenges us, it convicts us, it, it shapes us. Father, I pray that we might live light lives, that we might be your light in the world as you change us. I pray for those who are still in the darkness who want to find out more, Father. Help them to overcome their fear and their worries and to come and join me and do the course. Father, I pray that they might know what it is to walk in the light today. Lord, thanks that we can teach these things to kids. Thanks that there's even more for adults. I pray that we might take hold of it with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.